0: Chapter twenty five Ninanaba The Power of a Song The soldiers were beginning to visit each camp more often. This was the end of the third year the Nabehu were being forced to stay at Fort Sumner as prisoners of war. The Nabe Hu men still did not understand why the women and children who were innocent of any wrongdoing were also being held and referred to as prisoners of war. Men who were once strong warriors were now hunched over, standing in line waiting to be counted, and then standing in another line to receive their rations. Without their horses, their bows and arrows, and their lances and spears, the Nabejo men felt life was reduced to that of being an old person who was waiting to die. Men who were once proud were ashamed that their women and children were naked. The Nabehu men looked longingly toward the far horizon. They knew in their hearts that if they had their horses and their bows and arrows and their lances, they could ride out toward the horizon and kill a deer one for each of their women and children. They could skin the deer, and then the women would stretch and tan the hide to make an article of clothing to cover their naked bodies and that of each one of their children. Instead, all the men had was a sharp stone for cutting the rotten meat they were given and a slingshot for shooting at the birds that flew overhead. The Nabeho people watched one another become progressively weaker. When a loved one died, a relative went to the parade ground to wait for a soldier to whom to report the death. The people were so discouraged. The clouds seemed to have become an ally to their enemy. When they voiced their prayers, thick clouds seemed to prevent their prayers from reaching their creator by holding their words close to the earth. Many of the Nabeho people even stopped speaking words of encouragement to one another. It was too much of a chore to think a complete thought. The elders stopped telling their stories. They waited for the announcement of the first frost, to let them know the winter stories were to begin. But for two years the elders waited, and the first frost did not appear. Instead, each year the clouds that were engorged with a light dusting of snow were carried away by the winds that were determined not to allow the first frost to settle on the ground or to let it snow. The people longed for their own land. In Denetra Navajo land, their land between the four sacred mountains, the environment dictated to the people with regularity when the Haiko Batahaneiki winter stories were to begin and when the stories were to stop. Their environment also let them know when the Da cornfield was to be woken up out of its winter slumber by the first thunder of the spring season. The first thunder dictated to the Nabehu war leaders when their leadership was to end to allow the peace leaders to begin their leadership of the Nabehua people to lead them into the planting of the corn. As prisoners of war, The peace leaders tried for three years to plant corn. Even the ground seemed to be angry with the Nabehua people in that it refused to produce crops. Every year the crops failed. The peace leaders became discouraged and began to question their leadership skills. Soon, the seasons forgot to change when it was cold. It remained cold for months with no reprieve. There was no place to go to escape the cold. The Nabeho people just stared into the distance, looking for a thread of heat with which to warm themselves. The Nabeho mothers told their children to warm themselves with the thoughts of being wrapped in a warm yoga rug blanket. For the people who did not have a diogit rug blanket, the children were told, Warm yourselves up by sitting in the sun and turn your bodies around every so often. When the late spring sun finally brought heat, it became hot and remained hot for months. The bugs and the dangerous insects, seeking warmth, came to the surface of the earth to feel the warmth of the sun and remained there until the cold chased the sun away. The Nabehua mothers told their children, Tsetah Deino A, carry a rock at all times. There are many dangerous bugs. On the days the wind did not blow, the Nabehua people kept their hands over their noses so as to keep the stench of fecal matter, urine, and vomit out of their bodies. For many Navajo camps, there was no designated area for urinating or defecating. Many Nabehua people were too sick to walk away from their camp, to take care of their bodily waste. They released their waste in their steps. The heavy rains were their only hope of cleaning the area of human waste. Even the soldiers refused to get off of their horses when they inspected the Nabehua camps. Blood, urine, and fecal matter ran down the legs of many of the naked Nabehua people, but they did not notice because their only concern was survival. Proud elders could not stand up straight because of the excruciating pains they felt due to lack of food and because of the poisonous, rancid meat they ate to alleviate their hunger. The elders claimed that even the food of the enemy was mad at them. Nabehu mothers avoided the eyes of their little ones and the grandmothers avoided the eyes of their grandchildren because they saw complete trust in the eyes of their children and grandchildren. But the elders had no answers. It hurt the people to think. When their children cried because they were hungry, the mothers said, Nch'ad Stop crying, my little one. Don't cry. When you cry, your cry is so pitiful. I have nothing to give you. Don't cry. And then they turned away from their little ones to avoid seeing the trust they saw in their child's eyes. Not only were the babies crying, throughout the entire Fort Sumner Reservation, the cries of the people could be heard. Cries of pain due to the loss of a loved one, hunger, loneliness, helplessness, childbirth, fear, cold, or extreme heat, were the constant beat to a sad song of horrific and unspeakable pain. For some people, they were feeling all these effects. At the same time, the cries were relentless and had continued for the past three years. When a baby was born, it gave the Nabehu people a taste of hope. The people knew the Creator would not send a baby into a world without hope. It was the cries of desperation uttered by the children and babies that made the Nabeho people more determined to survive their dire predicament. Mothers promised their children that when they returned to their land between their four mountains, they would prepare them a meal of mutton and blue corn bread. The children and babies filled their belly with the hope of a meal. Hashkeh Yilnapa spoke encouraging words to his people every day, many times a day. It was his beautiful Ninnanapa and his children that made him a cherished leader. When he arrived with his people at Fort Sumner nearly two years before, he designated an area for the people to go. When they needed to urinate or defecate, he told his men to remove the waste when a Nabehu person became sick and could not reach a designated area in time. He was a leader who led by example. He helped carry the elders and the sick to the designated areas so they could relieve themselves. He did not want his Nenanaba or his children, or any of his people to have to walk in, sleep in, and eat in such unsanitary conditions. He instructed his men to bury human waste in order to keep their camping area clean. Ashkeh Yilnapa was very proud of his people. They listened well and obeyed his requests. He talked to his people and told them not to eat the rations the soldiers gave them. It was this request that saved his people from the devastating conditions that plagued the health of the Nabeho people at Fort Sumner. Ashkeh and his youngest son and his men continued to catch small game to feed their people. The water was a looming problem. When it rained, human waste washed into the Pecos River, the river that ran close by. During these times, Hashkeh instructed his people to drink goat's milk and to obtain what little amounts of water they could in the early morning dew. Every clear drop of dew was treasured and collected. Ninana encouraged the women and girls to keep busy, singing songs and saying prayers. She also encouraged the women and girls not to forget they are Nabeho <speaking in foreign language> by saying, Hashalah na kata'alchin Nabeho etlige ya tayoneh lako mtanohtin ajashi dochkho hong igot <in foreign> nihnde ninde Nabeho etlige." <language> Don't let your children forget how to be a Navajo. Teach them. Although we are suffering in an intense way, we will not forget how to be Navajos. The people kept an eye on the plant from which the long stalks of the hairbrush were gathered. The women made brushes for use in food preparation. They also made hair brushes using the tall brushes that grew in their camping area. A Napehu woman was to own three brushes. One brush was made for stirring and straining the liquid that was needed for the blue corn mush. A second brush was made for brushing their hair. A third brush, a shorter brush, the women made and used to coarsely brush the matted pieces of wool to prepare it for the spinning process. The women had their own hairbrushes that they had brought from home. The young girls, however, did not have their own hairbrushes. The women busied themselves gathering stalks of the tall bushes. Once a handful of the tall stalks of the bushes were gathered, The women made one of the three brushes. Ninanaba made sure each young girl who became of age was given three brushes to add to her bed, the items a woman collects for daily use. The women and girls watched for the debris that was carried by the winds. At times, little tufts of wool could be seen spinning in the air. The girls chased the wind to catch the little tufts of wool. Hashke told his men to collect straight branches of trees to be used for building of small loom for their daughters, wives and mothers. Hashke's words could be heard being spoken daily as he taught his men in which he was heard saying Nihizani da at ogoyek itahastratle. Ak itahastratko nahaachin and jonago ya another halyado leith. Ak itahastratko and jonago naha at the halyado leith. Nihizani jiyani hitayo kedo. Bahadat adobich and Our wives keep themselves healthy by weaving. When they keep themselves healthy, they will be better able to care for our children. When they keep themselves healthy, they will be better able to care for you. When your women ask you for food, don't be lazy, do your best to feed them. (inaudible) Father, how joppa a Away a yago, do ben jeneda, t'id a daughter. Hala, away a yago, you start ye yago to hit the <inaudible> wheat knee hinde. go at. A woman can make a person feel uplifted. We are comforted by our children. They too need your good care. Don't just let them cry. They need our sympathy. When a baby or child is eating... Do not make the baby or child cry. Absolutely not. When a baby is eating, the baby is just trying to prolong its life. They deserve our sympathy. Although we are suffering intensely, when you talk to your children, talk to them using soft words. They are also suffering intensely. We find comfort in our children. Take good care of them. You have been blessed with your children. The people listened to their kind leader. He was their hope for returning to their land between the four mountains. Quietly, they thanked their leader for his encouraging words. On the days the people could sense a rain shower or a storm, Hashkeh reminded his people that the patterns made in the sky by their distant rains were a representation of the strands of a female's hair. Ninanabat reminded the young girls that a girl's hair and a woman's hair and the hairbrush represented moisture, rain, and snow, so they were to be handled with great reverence. Hashkeh took his leadership very seriously he led with his words and his actions, and Ninanabat did the same for the young women and the girls. They were adamant regarding the observance of the kinalta for the young girls and the change of a young boy's voice, but puberty observances were problematic once they became prisoners of war. Hashke Yilnabah was told of a young Nabehwa girl, who had experienced her first menstrual period. The young girl lived in another camping area. In being obedient to her elders, she rose early in the morning and ran toward the east, then again at noon, and once again in the evening. The soldiers saw the activity of the young woman and thought she was trying to escape. They roped her, and placed her back in the care of her parents. Without an interpreter's help, the family could not communicate the importance of the young girl's activity of running toward the east. The next day brought a repetition of activities by the young girl, and the soldiers once again captured her and returned her to her family. However, On the third day, the soldiers did not bother to rope the girl. They shot her and killed her as her family looked on. The family that was only observing the importance of life was thrust into the unbelievable depths of despair due to the loss of their young daughter. She represented life and hope. Hashkeh Yilnapa encouraged his people to continue to observe the celebrations of life, but he reminded them that they had to be thoughtful and careful not to place any member of their family in danger. When a young girl reached puberty, he did not allow the young girl to run very far for fear of the soldiers and their thirst for death. The observance of the puberty ceremony was made even more difficult for the Nabehua people because there was the absence of corn for grinding to be used in the al Navajo cake. Ninanaba had brought several bags of corn with her, which came from her husband's ta'akeh cornfield at the base of Zilajin Black Mesa, these she offered sparingly to the people who were under her husband's leadership. Each time Ninanaba offered corn to be ground for a cultural observance, pride rose within her because she knew she was doing her part in maintaining and preserving their beautiful Navajo culture. There was one bag of corn she protected and did not want anyone to bother. The special bag of corn was for her daughters. Hashkeh was always touched by the way his wife never lost hope that she would see her daughters again. He watched as she would unpack their daughters' rug dresses she lovingly wove before she left their home. He witnessed as Ninanaba hugged the dresses longingly, sniffed them, then packed them away to be taken out on another day. He loved his beautiful Ninanaba. She gave him hope. Every day he prayed to the Creator that he would be allowed to take his Ninanaba and their daughters and their children back to their land between their four mountains. He made a silent vow to build his wife a Hogan Namaz, a round hogan, upon their return home to the base of Tzithajin, Black Mesa. It had been nearly ten days since Hashkehil Napa and Ninanapa had seen their oldest son, Nahat'a Yenapa, but the fresh meat and the fresh water were faithfully being delivered. When the pre dawn morning was still covered with a blanket of darkness. On the nights the clouds hid the constellations that announced the pre dawn morning, Yishnapa and his youngest son faithfully walked to the river's bank to wait for Nhat Ahinapa. For the past few nights they waited, but their anticipated visit never happened. Father and son, returned to their camp in silence and empty-handed, except for the small game that was caught in their trap. Once again, on a moonless night, Egonapa followed his father in silence as they walked to the river bank. After singing several songs, H'keh'ekonapa finally heard the beautiful sound of his oldest son's voice. The young man greeted his father with a hug and began to cry. He had been looking for his sister, Dedi, and her child, but had not seen them. Fear gripped the heart of Hashkeh How could he tell his Ninanaba of the news? Hashkeh and his sons went back to their camping area with very heavy hearts. Ninanaba cried at the news Tekisna's ba was comforting her young husband saying namahisant'a listen to your mother Tekisna's ba remembered that Ninanaba had told her family she would know if her daughters had died the family just had to trust her feelings ashkehi'sna ba knew he had to believe his wife. After all, it was she all along who told him their daughters were still alive. It was her will that was keeping his daughters alive, he thought. Hashkeh Yishnapa thought of the many times he had spoken to the interpreter to get permission to look for his daughters, but each time his request was denied. At the parade grounds, Hashkeh looked for the old soldier who limped and had a patch over his eye, but he seemed to have left Fort Sumner. They were told by the interpreter there were more soldiers across the river who watched over the Naskaladene, the Mescalero Apache people, who had not run away from the fort. Hushkehilnabba wondered if the old soldier who limped was watching over the Nashkala people. A few nights later, when the moon refused to shine, Hushkehilnabba and his sons decided to walk to the river to see if someone would meet them who would be providing them with their usual provisions of fresh meat, ground corn, and jugs of fresh water. They settled on the bank of the river and Hashkeh Yishnapa began to sing a song he used to sing to his daughters. His heart was so full of despair that his singing became louder and louder. Soon his voice was carrying across the waters and being swept downstream. Hot tears freely flowed Down the faces of the three men. All of a sudden, Tlegonapa said, Gye, listen. Hashkehilnapa stopped singing and began to listen. They heard the faint voice of a woman singing. The men tried looking around them, but they could not see through the blackness of the pre dawn morning. The sound of the woman singing stopped. All the three men could hear was the sound of their hearts beating deep in their chests. Kegonapa urged his father, a Shhe, start singing again, my father. Once again Hashkehil Napa began to sing. His emotions were getting the best of him. His heart hurt, but he kept singing. He needed to get the deep sadness he felt out of his body, so he sang. Once again it was Tlegonapa who heard the faint sound of a woman singing again. They listened. The song, being sung in the darkness, stopped once again. Hashkehishnapa began to bellow out his song, this time sending it upstream. Downstream and across the river listen my father there is the sound of someone singing his sons seemed to have said in unison they leaned forward to listen this time they realized the woman was singing the same song haskepa was singing who is that singing? Nahat yinapa asked. The young men asked their father to sing again. Ishtyanshin Start singing again, my father. begged his father once again. The water current seemed to become silent. It seemed to be listening as well. Ashkeh napa began to sing. The woman sang as well. (laughs) Hashke Yithnapa sang for his daughters. The song was sad. He sang the names of his beautiful daughters. As he sang the names, the woman stopped singing. Egonapa touched his father's shoulder and said, Geh, listen. The water seemed to stop flowing. The breeze stopped to listen. The air around them stopped moving. The young woman's voice became louder as she began singing again. Hushkechna <speaking in language> Ba, so overcome with emotion, broke the silence by yelling at the top of his lungs. Sheyajededishan, sheyajedani sheyajedan. His sons jumped at the sound of their father's heartbroken questions. The woman from across cried, Shizhe, my father, Shizhe, my father, Shizhe, my father, Shizhe, my father. Pretty soon the woman was shrieking, Shizhe, my father, my father, my father. Hashkehil <laughs> Napa yelled, and, who are you? and it's me, my father, daddy. my father. my father. my father. Ne Yajanaz ba Your little girl warrior who came home is my name. that's me. The two young men had to hold their father back. He nearly jumped into the water to try to swim to the other side. The three men hugged one another but were so afraid the woman might not be their daughter and their sister. They could hear the woman crying uncontrollably. They were afraid she would try jumping into the water to come to them. Hashkehilnapa yelled, when the light of dawn comes, we will be able to see one another. The woman answered, Okay, my father. I love you, my father. With those words, knew it had to be his daughter. He collapsed on the bank of the river as deep, loud sobs shook his entire body. His sons cried along with him. The three men held one another and cried tears that flowed continuously until the sun began to cast long strands of light into the eastern sky. When the faint light of dawn began to faintly illuminate the area, the men looked across the river. There was no one. They looked at one another in disbelief. Hushke <inaudible> broke the silence. <inaudible> it was truly my little one, Dedi, talking that I heard, he said with great disappointment in his voice. Earlier he wanted to run toward the eastern direction and grab the sun and pull it over the horizon in his eagerness to see his daughter. Now she was not there. (laughs) Hashkeh Yilnapa did what he had done before. He began to sing the same song, hoping it would bring his little one back. He sang until his voice was hoarse. No one appeared. Only a lonely silence returned a slight echo of his voice. Hashkeh <laughs> was beside himself. This was the time of day the soldiers rode their horses into their camp to quickly count the men, women, and children. Nhat <laughs> Ahyinapa stayed behind, hiding in the bushes on the bank of the river. Hashkeh <laughs> and his youngest son began walking quickly back toward their camp. Their footsteps were very heavy. They needed to hurry, but their sadness held them back. In his excitement, Hashkeh had forgotten the daily visits by the soldiers. His feet would not hurry. His feet wanted to return to the bank of the river to find the woman who was singing. Hashkeh Yisnaba's heart sank. The soldiers were already at their camping area. They were barking orders at the people. The interpreter was asking questions about their leader and the people could not give an answer. Ninanaba told the interpreter that her husband had gone to get some water and that he had left with his son. No one else was missing, they told the soldiers who were yelling at them. The soldiers ordered the people to stand in line. Where is your leader? the soldiers demanded. Once again, Nenanapat told the interpreter her husband had gone to the river to get water. He is not supposed to go to the river, the soldier barked. Where is his leadership stick? screamed the soldier. Nenanaba turned to go get the stick when the soldier threw his rope around the bag she kept reverently hidden. The bag held the sacred bag of corn Nenanaba was saving for her daughters, her medicinal herbs and her daughters' rug dresses. The soldier dragged her bag to the feet of the interpreter. Open it, he barked. Ninanabat stood her ground and said, Men are not allowed to handle the items a woman uses for her daily use. It is not allowed. It is not allowed. You will lose your eyesight. The interpreter jumped when the soldier demanded he opened Nenonabot's bag. He reluctantly and reverently began opening the bag. The impatient soldier pulled on the rope and dragged the bag past the interpreter and toward his horse. Nenonabot jumped forward to grab her bag when one of the soldiers roped her feet and brought her crashing down onto her side. Her people gasped. The men under Hashkeh Yithnapa's leadership jumped forward and grabbed the bag and would not allow the soldier to take the bag. Just then Hashkeh yelnapa and his youngest son appeared on the scene. The interpreter demanded to know where they had been. We went to the river. We went to get water, Ashkeh answered. Why don't you have your leadership stick with you? Why did you leave your people here without a leader? How long were you gone? Were you out raiding? The soldier yelled. Hashkeh was relieved that somehow in all the excitement at the river bank, someone had filled their water jug. Egonapa <inaudible> set the heavy water jug down on the ground for the soldiers to see. Hashkeh <inaudible> set his water jug down as well. Where is the stick that designates you as a leader? Another soldier barked. At the interpreter's translation, Hashkeh <inaudible> walked, to the place where he slept and produced the leadership stick out of a rolled-up, tattered rug. The soldiers looked around them. The area was clean. There was no smell of urine or feces in the camp. The women and children were crying as they stood around Ninanaba. The people looked clean. Their hair was brushed and their rug dresses were still intact. Hashkeh Yilnapa stepped forward and boldly asked the interpreter to tell the soldier to give him his wife's bag. With the message relayed to the soldier, the soldier threw the bag at Hashkeh and turned his horse out of the camp. The soldiers left on their horses at a gallop to terrorize another group of Nabeho people. Everyone rushed to Ninanaba as they told her husband what the soldier did to her. Ashke Napa hugged his wife and whispered into her ear that he was sorry he was not there to battle the soldiers for her as he said, Bashin Zilau <laughs> do Dalden Nahayikaiko, do Kona Shadant, I'm sorry I was not here when the disgusting soldiers came here. I am sorry, my little one. Did you break any of your bones? Ntaka No. ashent eh where were the two of you? demanded Ninanapa. danced aloud, Da Loz, the ugly soldiers nearly led me away. Ninanaba lamented. Hashke Yasnapa led Ninanaba away from the others. Quietly, he told her of their experience on the bank of the river. Ninanaba began to shake. Her tears were stuck deep down in the inside of her, and she could not get them out. She slumped against her husband and began hitting his chest. The terror with the soldiers, the terror with the soldiers, and the news of the possibility of her daughter being so close was too much for her to bear. napa gently held his wife until she had no more energy to move. They held one another and cried. Ninanaba was clutching the bag. That contained her precious possessions, the people asked Egonapa what had happened at the river bank, but he remained silent. He would wait for his father to tell the others of his sister Ashkenaba chose to remain silent. The people knew their kind leader and Ninanaba were doing their best to keep the memories of their daughters alive. They cast quiet, understanding glances their way and spoke prayers for their leader's family. Their kind leader gave them hope, and now they had to offer their leader and his family hope.